Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. of the morning, Dan and Amy. It's election day in Chicago. Time to make some terrible decisions. So let's get right to it. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 64636DA, turnkey.pro text. And I'm, I'm fascinated by how the uh, National Press Corps, the D.C. Press Corps, is now fixated and has been for the last couple of days on uh, whether or not Lori Lightfoot survives uh, that that's that's something that's of great interest to them now. Uh, I've seen a number of stories. I got uh, contacted by a producer at Fox Business to appear uh, this morning on Fox Business to talk about the mayoral race. People people really want to see whether or not um, this uh, spectacle that we've presented the country over the last four years uh, makes it through to the runoff or not. I mean, do you think that there's a chance? Because now, there's a lot of vacillation going on in this brain of mine, you know, thinking Brandon Johnson. Then yesterday I was thinking, no, Mayor Lightfoot, possibly Chewy Garcia, because it's a race for second place. Really, when you think about it. We might not know tonight who's the second yeah, place winner. Right. Well, because this, last time, Dan, the second place finisher came in first. Tony Preckwinkle, remember, she, she won handily during the first race, and then Lori Lightfoot came in second, and then Lori Lightfoot trounced her in the runoff. Yes, right. Uh, and okay, so whoever and, comes in second place may end up the mayor, is what I'm saying. Well, of course, of course, v- Vallis is the underdog in the race, which is I've been trying I to. I know you've been saying that. I've been saying it from the beginning. I, some people are skeptical. I don't know what they think they know about Chicago politics, but okay, it's fine. Whatever. Yeah, everybody's entitled to their opinion and um, to shout it from the rooftops. They're playing the game. Time to play the game. That's what we do today, right? Playing the game. How are we doing? How's the game been working out? That's why I love that phrase, if I could digress again since I brought it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, playing the game. H- how is the game working for you? Seems to me that most of the people listening to this show never win when they play the game. So I, I'm always curious as to the default position from the Chicago Uh, center-right battered voter of playing the game, lecturing me, as has been the case for the last couple weeks since I've broken honest on on Ballas. Playing the game, if if the rules are rigged against you, then why wouldn't you try to change the game as opposed to play the game? You're playing a game you can't win. You don't win. Very few people win playing the game in Chicago. It's, a, it's just the things that fascinate me, the the D.C. press corps, uh, you know, newfound 
temporary, fleeting interest in Chicago, Chicago's plight, uh, particularly under Lightfoot, her personal political flight, because I guess she's part of the identitarian mob. And so to see a triple threat go down in Chicago, even if uh, she is replaced by a minority candidate, ultimately, that is. Boy, I, I maybe that I don't know that hurts their hearts. You know, there, there was well, fleeting interest in fodder. L.A. There, there was fleeting interest in L.A. There was fleeting interest in New York. You know, to replace De Blasio, the the prospect to replace Garcetti in L.A. The prospect that you could actually have this billionaire real estate developer who was sort of a center right candidate be the mayor of L.A. And of course, that they defaulted to Karen no. Bass, mm-hmm. the the longtime congresswoman there. Uh, and so, so you know, there's there's this sort of almost morbid curiosity about these disintegrating big cities. But don't get too excited well, because the nation's interest in Chicago will quickly dissipate after today. Well, what if there's a close race with with it's in with with one percent? We accept the results of the election. Mayor Ann Ahern asked Mayor Light for this, and everybody remember this, okay? Just. Put this in your uh, your memory bank. If it is very close, will you accept the results of the election? Of course, I'm not a, I'm not Trump, and I'm not one of these people. Whatever uh, the voters um, decide, uh, we, we hope and we believe it's going to be a, a fair election. Uh, but of course, I'll accept the results. Mm-hmm. Okay, just remember that when she doesn't oh. accept the results of the election. What? She's going to accept the results of okay. the election. What are you, what are you, you think talking she will? about? She's making stuff up. No, what, I'm not what, making what, stuff up. What, if it's, what, if, if yeah, it's you are making stuff they up. Can, they can challenge the results of the election, and this could go on for a few weeks. And then next thing you know, it's April 4th. Right. Yeah. It's a possibility. Uh, it's a possibility that n- not necessarily, well, I mean, anything's a possibility, <laughs> I guess, yeah. I'm just saying, like, remember possi- that when she does challenge the results of the election. We'll keep that here. For it's you. a possibility it could end in a tie. By the way, saying that I accept the results of the election does not foreclose the possibility of, depending on what happens, pushing for a recount, waiting for votes to be counted, even if somebody declares the race over. That's not challenging the underlying legitimacy of the election. That's allowing the process to play out. So your your gotcha stuff is just goofy frankly uh mary Kay, western springs you're on chicago's morning hi thanks hi good morning my dad used to use that phrase all the time that play the game thing so it kind of rubbed play the game yeah yeah play the game but i and i used it over the weekend um a friend and and i we were were walking for our um you know our school board guys that we want to get elected the uh black tim black i don't know if you uh heard that name yet dan but he's he's the guy we're trying to get elected out here um uh, you know, Frank Evans, Tim Block was the last one. The name is escaping me right now, but these are school you know, board candidates. The, yeah, school board, but uh, grassroots mm-hmm. campaigns. You know, it happens. Um, the, these, I think it's still going to be Willie Vallis. You know, I'm not. I don't know who is going to make the best mayor. I know Amy, where you stand. What do who do you think is going to do the would do the best job, Dan? I think Paul Vallis is, but well. We know where you are, Amy. Right. What about you, Dan? Yeah, I mean, who would be the best mayor of those yeah. nine candidates? Yeah, Willie yeah. Wilson. Willie Wilson yeah, would be too. the best mayor, but he's I not going to win. So Thanks for the call, Mary Kay. He's, he, I don't think he's going to get into the runoff. He didn't run the kind of campaign he needed to get to twenty percent. Well, what did and, he do wrong? I mean, he he advertised very well, and every 
corner and every no, part he, of the city that I've been to has a Willie Wilson sign somewhere. Yeah, he, that's not advertising well. That's um, well, advertising a lot. Okay. He uh, occupied a lot of space. <laughs> the the I mean, Willie need to, needed to broaden his coalition. I know we talked to him yesterday about it, and he mentioned some of these endorsements he's gotten from some different ethnic organizations. He needed to get beyond sort of just his core base of people who've been with Willie in the neighborhoods since he first decided to, you know, uh, run for public office. So this is several years now. Um, So he needed to get beyond, frankly, his black base. And I just don't think he made much of an effort to do that. And I'm not saying play identitarian politics, but I'm just saying broaden your reach and – and bring in people that are surrogates for you, uh, do something to address this criticism that you know you receive, the way he speaks. We talked to him about it on this program, and turn that into something that is at least neutral, if not a positive. And per per his story, he could have done that. Um, His story about losing his son to street violence was compelling. But his other messaging was just sort of the same conventional pro forma blather that you hear from all of them. They all say the same thing. As I said weeks ago, watching all these commercials from the candidates with the Thumb Funny to Run commercials, if you pulled out the – I mean you could pull any name out and put any name in and you wouldn't be able to notice a difference on you know ads about public safety willie's ad and paul vallis's ad if i pull the names out you couldn't tell who was who and the same thing frankly for Lori lightfoot except her you know bizarre she delivers ad ad campaign kind of thing that petered out um i just don't think there was i think it was just very vanilla messaging and they all were sort of appealing to the same ideological disposition in the city and nobody really broke out and said much of anything that was interesting. It was personal narrative and who's going to spend the most money on n- new and exciting programs. Right. The only one who said anything uh, you know, marginally jarring and not in the positive, at least from my perspective, but maybe in the positive for a lot of Chicago voters' perspective, was Brandon Johnson. I'm going to tax the rich. Yeah. I mean, he, he, I'm a three and he's and trying percent. to back down from that, by the way, which, oh, sorry, three, you said it. Three and a half percent income tax inc- uh, on incomes over a hundred grand in the city. I mean, well, boom. Yeah, but thirty-seven <laughs> percent of CPS teachers make a hundred thousand dollars or more. So now people are kind of catching on. So he's trying to back down from that. But I, I want to ask you too: What in the world happened to Chewy Garcia? He was the last person to enter the race, and he had twenty-seven percent right off the bat, and now he's down to eleven, thirteen percent. Yeah, I, I mean that is just fascinating to me. Remember, he had all these people around him, and he was. And his, you know, the first poll, he was in the lead, and now he's begging for fourth place. What was the point of Chewy's campaign? I, I don't, there was no point. I mean, he's right. like, I have you know, to go lucky. Hey, I'm the, Chewy, needs, you know me. And then he puts on the Brahma manual sweater for the last ad. There needs to be a point. I mean, Chewy doesn't need to round off his personality. He doesn't have one. It's not like he's offensive in terms of how he uh, interacts with people or how he presents himself. He's vanilla. There's no there's no rationale for his candidacy. He didn't know why he was running other than somebody told him that you could probably have a walk to the mayor's office if you wanted it. So throw your hat in there. We're looking for somebody other than Lightfoot. It can't be Vallis. 
And so, you know, get in there and you'll be in a runoff with Paul Vallis and you'll be Paul Vallis and you'll be mayor. And you won't have to do anything except what you've been doing for the last 30 years, which is sort of show up and meander about. And you get to wear the sash and have a nice salary and have some profile in the city and so on in the, and in the country and so on and so forth. The same way he walked into Louis Gutierrez's congressional seat. Right. I mean, that's that's what he wanted. He wanted something handed to him, and that's what he expected to happen. So when it, it turned happen. out that that wasn't going to be handed to him, when it turned out that if you didn't have a purpose, if you didn't have something important to say, then, you know, your constituency would shrivel up and people would look for somebody else to fill that lane that Lori Lightfoot has left due to her unpopularity. And that lane is being filled by Brandon Johnson. I, I think trend lines are uh, normally determinative in races. And the trend line for the last several weeks has been Brandon Johnson. Been Brandon Johnson coming up from the rear, fourth, fifth place. Um, the ads taking their effect. The uh, ground troops he has with public sector unions. And he, he siphoned off a lot of public sector union support that have otherwise would have gone to Chewy once CTU made the decision to go with Brandon Johnson. And SEIU, too. And, um, and and then there's, you know, the trades are splintered about, but they're just, um, you know, it, I mean, Brandon Johnson has an agenda. Brandon Johnson has a purpose. You may not like it, but he has one. And a lot of uh, Chicago voters agree with maximum Marxism. Uh, and uh, some don't. And that's why I think you end up with Brandon Johnson versus Vallis. Connect with Dan and Amy on the AM560 The Answer mobile app. Just text the word app to 64636 to download the app today. Hey, business owners, is your business and money in good hands? Does your bank invest in your success? Hi, Mike Gallagher here, letting you know that when you need a relationship bank, Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. I love these guys. Not only do they have expansive industry experience, a strong financial track record, but they're also highly capitalized for strategic growth. That's so important. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. They know what it means to grow a business by designing solutions that are right for you and only you. These are real people. They're ready to help. So reach out to my friends at Signature Bank. Make the call today, 773-467-5630, 773-467-5630, or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Your business could be Signature Bank's next success story. Go online, SignatureBank.Bank, member FDIC, Equal housing lender. Signature Bank. America First with Sebastian Gorka. Today at 3, right before Sean Thompson at 4 on AM560. The answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy talking about uh, Chicago's primary election today, specifically for mayor. And, you know, in 2019, a crowded field, 35% turnout in the uh, February primary. And then it was about 33% turnout in the runoff between Preckwinkle and Lightfoot. Yeah, what do you think it's going to be today? Yeah, about the same. And we have 193,000 uh, ballots that were cast through Sunday. Yeah. Early voting, mail-in voting. So, yeah. so 193,000 out of uh, uh, 1.5 million? million registered voters. Oh. So, you know. Got a long way to go. Don't yeah. get too excited. But the, it could be a, a close race for second place. Could be. I don't think it's going to be that close. But it could be. 
I mean, and not that close means a few points where the uh, outcome is not in doubt when you have as many candidates as you do and and a handful of them bunched up between 10 and 20 percent. Um, so you could have a particular constituency have an outsized impact on the outcome. And, of course, I'm talking about uh, inmates in Cook County. They're allowed to vote this year? You never, you never want to overlook the inmate vote. You can't do that in Chicago. Uh, you know better. And apparently <laughs> some of the uh, inmates are serving as whistleblowers on the guards, suggesting that they're being pressured to vote illegally. But that's really a commentary on Chicago when you have people accused of violent crimes um, blowing the whistle on Cook County sheriffs for attempting to persuade them to vote illegally. Take a listen. Have any of the jail guards asked you about voting in the mayoral election? Um, what do they say to you? Uh, do you want to vote? You want to sign up for vote? Because they have a sheet. They have a paper. They have a whole listing of everybody in there. It's like a voting sheet, the names. Who's registered to vote and who's not? So they have a list of who's registered to vote. Yep, and who's not. So what did they say to you? They said to me, you know, do you want to vote? And I said, no, thank you. No, really. Yeah, I could, you can sign up right now. Do you want to vote? I said, no, I'm registered in another jurisdiction. I want to vote. Well, you can vote in the mayoral election. I said, I'm registered in another jurisdiction. I can't vote. That, that would be a federal felony. And uh, then they would back off. And then another time they asked me, you know, do you want to vote? Do you want to vote? And I'm like, no. And he's like, at that time, is the only one in here who's not uh, registered to vote. I said, that's fine. I said, I don't want to vote. He said, you sure? He says, I've only got two slots left open. He says, you know, you're one of them. He says, do you want to vote? And I said, no, thank you. And then this last time, same thing. And I said, excuse me, I said, but did you ask people first if they're registered to vote also? He goes, no. I said, but you should. I said, because if I'm registered to vote someplace else, like I am, I said, you asking me and enticing me to vote, even though I'm registered someplace else, I said, it's a felony. I said, I can't be voting in two different jurisdictions. I'm not well, I'm registered in a different one. And they're doing this with all the inmates at the jail. It's a vote harvesting. Absolute vote harvesting. And they're being that aggressive? Yes. When did all of this start? Uh, that's going over the last month. And they also did it for the federal election twice in October. It does sound like ballot harvesting. It is vote harvesting on, you know, the, on a scale, like, this is an organized effort. So they know, they have the paper in front of them, they know the name, and they go to each cell, and they're like, well, he's registered to vote, he's voted already, he's registered to vote. But this one, you know, okay, do you want to vote? No? Well, you can vote. I mean, all you got to do is just be super right No, I'm ready for someplace else to vote. I'm in a different jurisdiction. But you can still vote in this election. Now, that was not a South Park episode. Obviously, <laughs> these uh, alleged inmates' uh, voices are scrambled uh, to protect their identity so they don't, I don't know, take a beat down in the jail while they're awaiting trial on murder and uh, other related charges. I love that uh, this uh, inmate is, um, hey, look, uh, here's the process to determine whether or not I'm eligible to vote. I'm I'm not registered here. I'm registered in other jurisdictions. He's very knowledgeable about uh, election law right. and pr- the propriety of voting. Um, so and I, just, I just love an inmate being held on murder charges, according to this Daily Mail story. 
says 21 of the 48 inmates in his Division 11 have already voted, but none were asked if they were registered or eligible uh, eligible to vote. They just say, who wants to vote? Line up to vote. Um, and this started in March 2020, by the way, when they enacted new legislation to encourage jail-based voting. Well, I know. It's, I, the only thing that I'm, I'm sad about is that we haven't extended the franchise in municipal elections to people in this country illegally yet. But that, that should be coming any day now, so we can add that in. Yeah, especially with school board votes. They want people, illegals, to vote for that. Uh, 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 64636-DA, turnkey.pro text. I, I don't even know. Does this even get people's attention? I mean, it, it, it seems to me it's—, it's I, I feel like I'm forcing or attempting to force people to have an interest in this election. Don't you? I know you're excited about it. But, I am very excited. But I get the sense that there is a general ennui among the electorate when it comes to this election. Maybe with the exception, as I've said before, of the opportunity to dump Lightfoot such that she doesn't even make the runoff and get some satisfaction. That To me, if you're like a sensible person, mm-hmm. uh, I, I just don't see any motivating factor other than the opportunity to vote against Lightfoot and see her embarrassed after her four years of embarrassing herself in the city. Am I wrong about that? No, I mean... Are people enthusiastic and I'm missing it? No, I, I think there's a lot of enthusiasm. I've never seen so many campaign signs out, people... You know, my, my neighbors like me again, Dan. This is very exciting. I had a conversation with somebody who hasn't spoken to me in four years because of Trump who said, oh, I noticed uh, you're supporting Vallis. And I said, well, who are you supporting? And she said, Vallis. And we finally and agreed on something. And then you said, why? And then she said, because he's white. No, she no. she's a minority. So, no, she and she's you know, let me know a certain politician. Once Vallis gets you know to the runoff, um, a lot of black aldermen, a number of state and city officials are going to be publicly endorsing him but they got to get up i like means he, nothing well i don't know does it mean nothing in the black community yeah i mean these guys these guys have coattails oh so let's say roderick sawyer for example who's going to get one percent of the vote he he endorses vallis and so not him somebody a little bit bigger well i, I mean but, but right whatever i mean the, the, the people just don't have coattails very few, very few people have coattails. Because I know Chewy's going to endorse Brandon Johnson because they're both um, Marxist communists. The um, the endorsement game among politicians yeah. matters not. Among The endorsement game among celebrities matters not. How's Kevin Garnett's endorsement going to do for Lori Lightfoot? Oh, he's going to put her over the top. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, exactly. how, how, did, how did Kanye West's uh, endorsement of that uh, Amara Enya four years ago, how'd that go? Chance the Rapper, who'd he endorse four years um, ago? Didn't he? He uh, he endorsed her too. He endorsed Lori Lightfoot. No, Amaya, that woman that we I can't pronounce her uh, name. Anya, uh, Anya, uh, yeah, Maya, Anya, Anya, or something. I can't. I can't wow, I can look, you got a bit of the Amys there, huh? No, uh, was, didn't I say Amaya, right? What's her name? Anybody help us out? We, we have a producer here. Was Amaya? Uh, but she was endorsed by. Yeah, that didn't help her, but it did give her name recognition on a national level. I mean, it did make a splash for you know a second in the news. Yeah, Amaya Anya, I think is her okay. name. But anyway. Um, yeah, right. It did briefly because uh, people's attention span for politicians is appropriately small. Matt Mount Greenwood. Oh, hold on a second. Matt Mount Greenwood, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. 
Hey, good morning, Dan and Amy. I, Dan, I would suggest that people who actually work for a living and produce a good and service and pay taxes absolutely care about the election. Those on the dole don't care because they, regardless of who wins, other than perhaps Willie, they're going to win either way. They can't; those people can't lose, and therefore, I don't think they give a crap about uh, who wins because still on the flank with any socialists, they're going to they're going to be just fine. Those of us on the fringes, we care for sure. Thanks for the comment. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I get it. But, I mean, I know you care about the environment in which you live and work for people who are productive and trying to raise a family in the city. But, but that's not the same thing as saying I'm excited about the prospect of this race because I am optimistic that we can have some improvement. I guess that's what I mean by enthusiasm uh maybe hopefulness is a better better way of describing it yeah you're going to go through your duty your civic duty to vote and to participate i understand that but do you feel like there's a chance puncher, for change a puncher's chance not even a good chance just a puncher's chance that you can see improvement in the city after we change out this mayor on April 4th. Well, as we can't get any worse. Oh, famous last words. I mean, we could get worse if Brandon Johnson and I have said this. Well, there I will you go. be moving out of this I will be moving out of the city if he becomes mayor. Well, and I'm not going to Canada. I might be going to Elk Grove or somewhere, back to Mount Prospect, whatever I have to do. So you just said it. There. So you said it can't get worse, but it can't okay, get worse. Can't. All right, you're right. Yeah. Well, I'm of the belief that Paul Vallis is going to win, so yeah, I was I was with two um Chicago political guys last night in an event, uh, one 19th warder. One of them is a 19th warder. Okay. Between the two of them, they have about, I don't know, 70 years of involvement in Chicago politics. What did they say? And um, one, I mean, I'm not going to tell you who it is, but one, the 19th warder, uh, the words he used for Paul Vallis, and everybody would know who this is. The words, uh, or at least the family, um, the words he used for Paul Vallis, worm, worm, and chameleon. Yeah, worm. Okay. He's known Paul Vallis since he was seven years old. Yeah. I don't know if a worm gets across the finish line. Greg Rogers Park. Morning. Um, yeah, I started out. I kind of like in Vallis, but then Dan and, and more you talked about him and everything. I realized what a crook and a piece of, and a chameleon that he is. So I voted for Willie Wilson, and I'm just disappointed though that none of the candidates, except when they when you asked them, Dan, in your show, addressed the sexual rape problems in the Chicago public schools and the dangerous fiscal uh, crisis we have in this city. They really don't address it. And that's what disgusts me is that none of them address child rape and fiscal crisis. So thanks for my time. Thanks for the call, Greg. I, I, the, none of them have addressed the, the CPS scandal to my satisfaction, that's for sure, and not just on the abuse of children in the school system, that's primary, but also the secondary issue, which is the abuse of taxpayers statewide. And it's amazing to me that the the inert, it's, it's not amazing to me, it's just telling. It's why the, the GOP is so irrelevant in the city and the state completely inert. Where's the Republican Party? The IG's report 
suggested a multi-billion dollar fraud is being committed by the Chicago public school system. Do you think that money could be better spent in the suburbs, in central Illinois, southern Illinois, since it's Fanta, it's money for phantom students and CPS? That's what the IG's report seemed to indicate. Uh, remarkable that nobody has picked this up and run with it. There was an opportunity to distinguish yourself both in the city and there's an opportunity for the Republican Party to at least attempt relevance. But no, that's too much. Too much to ask. Roger, Southside. Good morning. Well, yeah, Bellis is, yeah, he is a, uh, I don't know if you can use this word, but I won't say the word because so, I don't know. But, Unfortunately, he might have a chance of getting in there because well, he has I don't a chance. know. Evident- of course, he has a chance. Oh, he's got a better chance. But here's the thing. Well, and here's how I can't even believe that this is how divided this city is. That the blacks couldn't get together and said, "Hey, listen, in '83 the whites really screwed up, and we got Washington. They'd split the vote, and here we are doing it." So, uh, on the one thing, real quick, if it is Dallas or whoever it may be, if they're not willing to take on Tony Preckwinkle and Tim Evans immediately. And like, I think you agree at this. Yeah. Then this the whole thing's moved. Okay. And I'm not talking about a, a, you know, a a fair luncheon with every, this is the woman who's destroyed the state from top down. When Pritzker wanted in, he went to her and he said, what do I need to do to be governor? Well, we want animal farm. We want animal farm. We want it easy on our, on our politicians, people, direct family members, gang and drug culture. It's as simple as that. So if Ellis gets in, yeah, I mean, yeah, he's, he's always going to be a weasel. I mean, yeah. he was a hatchet man for the dailies. I probably know 15 people that this guy either went after their job or put the feds on people. When he, from CPS, CTA, Bureau of Forestry, up and down the line. Okay, yeah, you got somebody, you got the daily family mad at you. Guess what? You got Vallis and Chico after They're both pimps. So have a good day. Thanks for the call, Roger. Frank, Arlington Heights. Hey, good morning. Um, yeah, those GOP hacks have uh, too many sinecures to uh, worry about keeping to, to do anything about uh, even bring anything up or make any arguments about what's going on in the city or to care about anything. Um, but my big comment is, is really here, and, and Amy, I think you got to keep this in mind and project a little bit that no matter which of these people wins, that within a year, year and a half, you know, we're probably going to have Biden running for president again. Mm-hmm. He'll probably be the nominee. And whoever is the mayor is going to be out there enthusiastically endorsing Joe Biden for mayor. Oh, oh yeah. No matter who it is, no matter who it is that runs on the Republican side. And I'll be out there gladly standing with him and, uh, you know, endorsing him. So none of these people, you know, are, are worth anything in terms of, uh, making any changes they're absolutely uh, i don't know if brandon johnson as as would <clears throat> are you kidding well maybe brandon yeah of are course you... he would because you know student loan debt forgiveness you know he... well, but, 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 i mean do, do the teachers unions not back joe biden mm-hmm. i mean come on thanks for the call yeah, Frank. he works for the teachers union he makes a hundred thousand a year plus mm-hmm. as a county commissioner plus we learned a lot about him yesterday from jamal green that he moved here he was born in elgin raised in aurora was brought here by tony preckwinkle because richard boykin uh, voted against her sugar tax, and they placed him in that neighborhood specifically to take Boykin's job, which he did and won by just merely 100 votes. So he's a planted politician, and he is smooth. I mean, watching him, have you ever seen him in person, Dan? I mean, he is 
He's good at his job. A planted politician in Chicago. Oh, perish the thought. Oh, oh heavens. It happens all the time, but people uh, don't heavens. know about my, Where's my fainting couch? We'll find one. We'll Dan and Amy, one Dan and Amy Chicago's Morning Answer. Connect with Dan and Amy on the AM560 The Answer mobile app. Just text the word APP to 64636 to download the app today. Business owners, now's the time for your business to make the move to a locally owned business bank. Hi, Mike Gallagher here to let you know that you don't have to look far. Signature Bank was founded in Chicago with a simple mission to help companies like yours grow, succeed, and thrive. Their decisions are made locally by a terrific team that knows your name, cares about your business, and invests in your success. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. So, I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630. And learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, Amy, you have a, a family issue you wanted to discuss? Well, by the way, the polls are open. I already had one election judge call me. I said, call the station if you have any irregularities, if you're missing ballot, yada, yada. Three any one- irregularities? This is Chicago. <laughs> call the station if you don't have an irregularity. 312-642-5600. Turnkey Depro answer line. You could also text us at 64636. Type in DA, then a quick comment. Well, just so you know, the Illinois AG. Lexi Junilius's office says they're going to um, have a hundred uh, teams of investigators. Uh, 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 Alexi Junilius is not the AG. Kwame oh, Rowell, Kwame Roll. Excuse me. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, they're going to have a hundred teams of investigators monitoring citywide. <laughs> Are you ready for this? Yeah, right. Monitoring citywide mm-hmm. uh, to make sure we have access to ballots. Oh, mm-hmm. really? That's the concern. Hey, hey, put hey. those harvested ballots over here, not over there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, okay. Eli just turned eighteen. Yeah. And I, you know, went up to him last night and we're having dinner. I said, okay, so what time do you want me to pick you up so we could go, you know, same day registration and you could vote? He's like, mm, uh, I'm not going. And I said, excuse me? Yeah. And he said, I, I, I want to sit this one out. I'll, I'll do the next one. <laughs> I can and understand I said, no, why. No. He must have been paying attention. <laughs> no, no. He, and I said, this is, you, you do this for the family. This is no. for me. Oh, for the family. You do for the family. Yeah. Because I'll have um, more longevity at CPS if Paul Vallis is uh, uh, elected, and I think I'm going to be DOA if Brandon Johnson is elected mayor. Oh, so, I see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. No, it's always pr- protect protect my little my little carve out my, my little, little gig. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's the way it goes so well. in Chicago. I make 19 cents an hour coaching, um, <laughs> but still, but yeah. So I don't know how to convince him, and I said, well, I'm going to come to school. I'm taking you out of school for a doctor's appointment uh, today, so be ready to go. Yeah, we'll just tell him um, he can cancel your vote. What do you mean? Oh, yeah. He can, oh, yeah. He can, he can vote for Willie, uh, uh, you know, cover your bases. You got well, the I Willie vote, you got the Vallis vote. I think I'm going to tell him to vote for Lightfoot. Because oh, I'd yeah, rather that's... have Vallis against Lightfoot than Vallis against uh, yeah. Brandon Johnson. I'm actually thinking about voting for Brandon, or not, more, Mayor Lightfoot. 
Yeah, you should have you should have been running Vallis's campaign because that's who he should want to draw, and he should have done more to try to uh, help her along. Not that it could have done the deed, but that's certainly who I think he needs to have uh, as his opponent in the runoff if he's going to win. But you know, we'll see. It's handicapping at this point. And then I was thinking about offering him money. Offering money. Yeah. <laughs> sure. New yeah. pair of gym shoes. I don't right. know. The, the the COVID play, the the Vax play, oh, yeah. uh, right. theater tickets, uh, uh, $100 gift card. Visa card, yes. Yeah, right. Oh, mm-hmm. free tickets to Great America. Don't forget about that one. Remember, you can get vaccinated and then go on the uh, the Wizard. That worked out well for some people who fainted. Um, yeah. What is the, I, I don't, what, I, I've, uh, uh, I've lost uh, the, the basis on this. What, what is the going rate uh, when it comes to your vote in Chicago? What are they paying out these days? I mean, especially in these inflationary times. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe the, the money, the payout would be something attractive to Eli. No, he doesn't want to participate in anything illegal, but, you know. But he said, he said, well, I'm just not sure who to vote for. And I said, well, here, and I printed him an article. Here are the nine candidates. You can read up what they stand for and what they, you know, what their policies yeah. are. And then he said, Mom, I've read about the nine candidates, <laughs> and I made a decision. I want to leave Chicago. <laughs> Well, he did mention that. He said, well, I'm going to college for the next four years, so why does it matter? And I said, oh, because we're staying here. People you love are here. You want our you know, property values or property taxes to go up even more? Because then mommy <laughs> can't keep the house. The house You're not going to have a house to come home to in Chicago. I'm going to be in the suburbs, and you're not going to come visit me. Because mm-hmm. they won't. They already told me they're not going to visit me if I move to the suburbs. That's nice. Uh, well, yeah. I mean— they go away to college, and they're going out of state, as Peyton is. Well, yeah. I brought him an absentee ballot. Well, I know, but but I mean, but let me tell you something. Um, he's in Atlanta now, and he's down in the southeastern part of the country, uh, and he's a you know, engineering prodigy. Yeah. Um, I don't know how to break it to you. But, what? Uh, I don't think he's coming back to Atlanta. Oh, <gasps> Dad! Don't say. And uh, you should be encouraging him not to <sighs> go uh, southeast, young man, or southwest. Uh, Ron Southside. Hey, good morning, Dan and Amy. Well, you know what, Amy? I don't feel as bad if I don't go for for Valors. You couldn't even convince Eli. I mean, <laughs> so I know you couldn't convince yeah. me. And you, are, hey, you are a wonderful mom, but you know what? It's not your fault, Amy. It's your candidate. But I have a question for you all. Yes. If Willie Wilson doesn't win, maybe I'll do a poll. But how many days will it be before he endorses uh, Paul Vallis? The next so, day. Okay, you say next day. Okay, well, all right now, Amy. I don't know. You came a little wrong with this election stuff. <laughs> but look, well, you guys, look, I'm about. Yeah, okay, I'm about to go have breakfast and get here and vote. We'll see what happens. You oh, you're gonna a- you're gonna vote. You're gonna vote. Oh, you got to go out and vote for Willie, right? Dallas. Yeah. And then and then Ron. Uh, then Ron. I'm, I'm gonna if, walk in at that last minute. It's gonna be between if, those two. If I might, but, but but if Willie doesn't win. If he doesn't make the runoff, I should say then, and it says, say it's Vallis versus Brandon Johnson, then you're with Vallis. Oh, 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 look, please! I already said the worst candidate. The worst candidate is uh, is Brandon. 
Then why don't you vote for Lightfoot? Why don't you help Vallis out and go vote for Lightfoot? The, the problem with the, you know, the problem, well, uh, yeah, I don't know, Ron, what, what do you think about that? Yeah. It's just, it's well, just. Well, well, now that you mentioned her, maybe, maybe she's worse than Brandon. <laughs> hey, I see why he I might. I might do like Eli. You know what? Exactly. Hey, I may just, I might do like Eli. Maybe I'm just, me and my wife, we're going to have breakfast. I might You know what, Ron? Ron, Ron, take the edge off. Ron, take the edge off. Have a Bloody Mary at breakfast. It'll make voting easier. (laughs) And send Dan the bill. I'll choke you all this week. All right. All right, go Ballas. Thanks, Ron. Uh, yeah, the the whole thing about getting people to vote for Lightfoot, though, it's just like, again, the, the only joy I would have if I was voting in Chicago would be to vote against Lori Lightfoot. So it's just so difficult to say, oh, well, I'm supporting Vallis or uh, so I'm going to you know vote for who I think would be his weakest opponent. God, it's just so tough, though, because the only thing that's exciting is being able to cast a ballot against Lori Lightfoot, get, make the vote of no confidence on Lori Lightfoot. You waited four years to do it. Yeah. Jerry, Naples. Oh, Naples. Uh, first off, you, you took me away from uh, WLS Radio. Thanks to my friend Tim Kenny, oh. by the way. So I, Good, I enjoy you. your station. Way to step I went, up. I went, south, I went southwest, by the way. I'm down in Naples, Florida. Yes. Uh, you people in Chicago, you get what you deserve. Shame on you. I had this fatalistic view until I came down to Florida. We had DeSantis for governor. Oh, do, do I have to say anything else? I know. Not really. You no. have freedoms. And by the way, the going, the going rate for a, for a vote, from what I understand, in Chicago is a coupon for a free Subway sandwich. <laughs> yep, sure. Thanks Get the, the Jussie Smollett, yeah. Yeah. I'll yeah. have the tuna melt. Uh Karen and Beecher. Oh, we're getting into the whole like, how do we keep our families together in in Illinois and Chicago? That's that's what happens on election day, because the choices are so dismal. Karen, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, no worries. Good morning, uh, Amy. Good night, or good morning, actually. Uh, motherly love is wanting your children to never live in the city of Chicago. I have a 24-year-old daughter in Boston, and I pray she stays on the East Coast, even though I don't like those politics. And I have a son who was literally and figuratively, as you know, dying in the city of Chicago. He spent a year in uh, Augusta, Georgia, and now he is settled in Mount Juliet, uh, just Tennessee, just right outside of Nashville, and he is. Oh, he doesn't have a pl- he doesn't have a place in Augusta anymore. No, no. Sorry, I, mean, I, was, I was hoping sorry, I could yeah. rent his house for the Masters, but all right, all right. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Karen. Well, no, he is now in Mount Juliet, just outside of Nashville, and he is thriving. You don't want your children to live in a city where they're dying on the vine. Literally and figuratively, you want your children to go out there and spread their wings. I can always get in a car and go visit them. I can always get on a plane and go visit them. I want them to go and flourish and not die on a vine. Thanks for the call, Karen. My another ringing endorsement here. of Chicago. <laughs> well, it is scary. I mean, it's scary having children here. They are no longer allowed to take the CTA. Absolutely not. Yeah, of course. Um, and my niece lives here too. She lived. She went to Mizzou, and now she's here. And I mean, there was a shooting down her street, and it's just uh, well, I everything mean, it's, you fear. 
Yeah, it's not like St. Louis is any better. No, oh, North uh, County is the worst. Brian in St. John, Indiana. Hey, good morning. Um, I hopped the border, and I'm just glad it's not my problem. That's all I got. Bye. Thanks for the call. Well, no, we get a lot how, of that. Look how happy. Could you hear the happiness in his voice? He's like, yeah. screw you, suckers. I'm in Indiana. Well, Have fun voting today. You know, I, I think, you know, sometimes um, when you're in a camp like Chicago, you don't appreciate that there is a quality of life to be had in other locales, even not uh, even locales not that far away. Maybe maybe there's some people are onto something when you see mass migration to northwest Indiana, Wisconsin, Tennessee, Texas, Florida, South Carolina, et cetera. Maybe maybe people are onto something. And of course, a lot of Chicago residents and Illinois residents know that they're onto something because they're planning their exit as well until and unless the leadership of the city and the state improves. And unfortunately, there's not much prospect for that in the short term. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. Connect with Dan and Amy on the AM560 The Answer mobile app. Just text the word app to 64636 to download the app today. Dan and Amy, they came for uh, Theodore Geisel, Dr. Seuss. They came for Roald Dahl. Now they've come for Ian Fleming. Ian Fleming's James Bond books will be re-released this spring after a review by sensitivity readers. (laughs) Oh, wait, where can I sign up to be a sensitivity reader? It's it's a great side hustle. Booming business. Uh, They're going to rework uh, some characters and some phrasing in uh, films from... Casino Royale to Octopussy. Uh, like maybe I guess, changing Octopussy. Yeah, uh, right. The the, um, the 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 love interest there uh, will be named Vulva Galore. <laughs> no, instead. <laughs> so, no, I don't know, but I'm sure the sensitivity readers will come up with something appropriate. Of course, they will. Yes, they're sensitivity readers. Um, also, I think Odd Job is going to be trans. But I'm not positive about that. You know what? You should rewrite it as a sensitivity trainer. I mean, why? Why not make it just go just completely go ridiculous? Yep. Like go go identitarian over the top. Yeah, it's Mach Five. Let's go. There, there are also like references, you know, to uh, racial slurs and stuff like that. It's, you know, scrubbing the N word out of any dialogue. Um, I don't even remember that in any Bond movies, but maybe it was there. Um, are they going to do Sanford and Son next? I'm coming. Oh yeah, right. Or or. All in the family. That was yeah. pretty dicey. Mm-hmm. Um, in a related wow. story, <laughs> that is just shocking to me. I shouldn't be shocked, but oh, okay. this, this is this is how it happens, um, uh, little by little. So instead of saying fat or ugly, they're going to tweak it to say, oh, they're just going to admit it. That's yeah, oh, you, for Charlie. And the, I'm sorry, for Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. You know, the girl who ate the blueberry who became fat. They're going to change that to um, enormous. Mm-hmm. Like there's a big difference to people if you're fat or enormous. Okay, big stretch there. Uh, related story: mm-hmm. the British government has a counterterrorism program called Prevent, and in this report that Prevent did, they suggest that reading authors like George Orwell 
J.R.R. Tolkien, C.S. Lewis, can radicalize readers. Can, if you read Lord of the Rings or 1984, you could become a right-wing extremist. I mean, this is this is where it's at. The irony completely lost on these totalitarians. They're going to ban 1984. That's where it's at. It's the slow boil. Children's book authors, spy novelists, and now you have essentially... Um, a Christian apologist like C.S. Lewis or uh, an atheist like George Orwell, actually he was a man of the left, and his uh, great works about the, essentially, allegories about the, uh, the dangerous uh, overarching state. <laughs> Please ban 1984. Maybe that will register in more minds. I don't know. Connect with Dan and Amy on the AM560 The Answer mobile app. Just text the word APP to 64636 to download the app today. If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560 The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Not enough to be pro-abortion. Not for the pro-abortion left. And this is consistent with the identitarian left's posture with respect to all political issues. Only total destruction will do. Total destruction of those who disagree. So it's not enough to be pro-abortion left. Be pro-abortion on the left. Or be pro-abortion According to the left, you have to eliminate people who disagree with you, silence them professionally, or shutter organizations that provide care to pregnant women, for example, to help them have their child, to help women have their children. Uh, yeah, well, uh, not to mention the violence. Well, the violence, right. Yeah, the not to mention... Mainstream the, media is ignored. Not to mention the attacks on uh, pregnancy care centers, churches. <laughs> Framingham, Massachusetts, a pro-abortion Dem city council member named Michael Hugo. The topic was opposition to pregnancy care centers in that community. And... Uh, Here's what Michael Hugo had to say about pregnancy care centers who, for example, help a woman who wants to have her child but uh, is being pressured to have an abortion or she doesn't think she can raise the child. She needs help. And let's say that she has a child with unique abilities. What to do? Michael Hugo, pro-abortion Democrat, Framingham, Massachusetts, City Council. Our fear is that if an unqualified sonographer uh, misdiagnoses a heart defect, 
an organ defect, spina bifida, or an encephalopathic defect, that becomes a very local issue because our school budget will have to absorb the cost of a child in, in special education supplying lots and lots of special <clears throat> services to children uh, who were born with the defect. Yeah. Uh, children with uh, a disability, they're just too expensive to live. 312-642-5600, turnkey Dapro Mansion Line. 64636-DA, turnkey Dapro Tuck Sign, right? So he has a eugenic view on special needs kids, and he wants them. Okay. They're just so expensive. And, you know, if a sonographer uh, misdiagnoses, as he said, just uh, reiterating his words, explaining them, you know, misses the fact that you're going to have a child with unique ability, and then you have that child with unique ability, then... Then what do we do? Now we got a real problem because that's the way you look at children with unique abilities, right? They're problems. Yeah, just dispose of the problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think there's a special place in hell for this man. Uh, Kurt Kondrick is an advocate for persons with unique abilities, and he reacted to what uh, Mr. Hugo, which is a center-cut pro-board Democrat viewpoint. Very few will say it out loud because of how ghoulish it sounds, you know, because of how ghoulish it is. Right. <laughs> but he did, and that is their position. I know there are many on the left that don't want to attach consequences to the actual beliefs they say they have, but that's what we're doing here. And that's what Michael Hugo is doing Center-cut, pro-abort, dem view. All right, Kurt Kondrick with the view of somebody who is not a Philistine. It is. It's, it's beyond offensive and evil, what Mr. Hugo said. And what he does understand is the IDEA, Individual Disability Education Act, guarantees children with special needs a free and appropriate education. So identifying, targeting, eliminating a human being because they don't pass a test is the ultimate form of discrimination, bigotry, profiling, mm-hmm. hatred. You know, Massachusetts doesn't have a death penalty, which is fine because they don't want to execu- possibly execute someone who might be innocent or have those types of executions. But this is prenatal execution of a person who mm-hmm. fails a test because they don't meet the cultural criteria of what perfection is. It's a great way to put it. That is a great way to put 312-642-5600, it. 312-642-5600, turnkey, Japro answer line. You can also text us at 646 646- Three six. Type in DA, then a quick comment. Prenatal execution, on demand, taxpayer funded. Right. I mean, that's the push is to eliminate human beings that have a unique ability or a special need, whichever your choice in the phraseology. So, he's just saying what we all believe. Michael Hugo, right? I love that people with disabilities in that community, they're going to protest in front of City Hall. Uh, in this their commun- support for the disability community. Yeah. In this community, they could protest in Lombard or Chicago. Oh, yeah. Um, Tara Costa Howard from Glen Ellen. Oh, leafy Glen Ellen. All those successful, smart people, Glen Ellen, doing very well. (laughs) 
Well, they have to afford those nice houses. Yeah. Tara Costa Howard, she is a pro-abortion Dem socialist, lives in Glen Ellen, elected in DuPage County. State Senator Selena Villanueva is a Democrat, pro-abortion Democrat socialist in Chicago. They are the sponsors of legislation entitled the Deceptive Practices of Limited Services Pregnancy Centers Act. What in the world is that? It's a legislation that seeks to curtail the operations of pregnancy care centers. Limited services pregnancy centers, the language applied, this from the Illinois Family Institute, to crisis pregnancy centers, clinics that offer life-saving services to pregnant moms, usually free of charge, ultrasounds, counseling, baby clothes and diapers. Oh, ultrasound. Yeah, but you could have a sonographer, as Mr. Hugo said, you know, not fail to diagnose a defect, as he said. And then we got a, a, a kid with a defect. That's the phraseology of Michael Hugo. And then now what do we do? We got to pay for his schooling. Heavens. Oh, my God. We don't want that, do we? But yet here in Illinois, we have taxpayer-funded abortions up until the day that they give birth. Yeah. <sighs> I know it's a different state. I know, but... The bill grants this bill, legislation in Illinois, Tara Costa Howard and Selena Villanueva. Are you paying attention, right, to what's going on here? Hmm. To what's going on in DuPage County, to what's going on in Glen Ellen, to what's going on in Lombard, to what's going on in Wheaton. The kind of barbarism that we have unleashed on ourselves, these people, Downers Grove, Naperville, Hinsdale. Should I should I run down every community in DuPage County? Because I can. How do you abide this? Don't think that Tara Costa Howard and Selena Villanueva for that matter, think any differently than Michael Hugo, the man you just heard saying we should uh, be in the business of prenatal execution of kids with quote-unquote defects. Don't think for a second they think any different than he does, because they don't. Animals. These politicians are animals. It's the ultimate form of discrimination. Bigotry, profiling, hatred, I mean, it's... The legislation that uh, these two ladies, and I use that term very liberally, sponsored, grants the Attorney General the right to penalize a crisis pregnancy center if it appears that has engaged in, engaging in, or was about to engage in a deceptive method, act, or practice, right? Yeah. So here's what they're getting at. Yeah, what's the rub? They're getting at the way that um, crisis, some crisis pregnancies market to women. So to get their attention that there is an option other than abortion. Um, what is deceptive? It's defined only by the crisis pregnancy center's unwillingness to perform abortions. And the penalties for deceptive practices in the legislation up to 50 grand, which would close most uh, pregnancy care centers that, of course, operate on donations and a shoestring budget, nonprofits. 
the um, commentary from the Illinois Family Institute on Legislation. Uh, these bills stand to be incredibly damaging to the pro-life movement in Illinois. It would likely result in the closure of many crisis pregnancy centers. And, of course, if the bills pass, it won't stop the crisis pregnancy centers. The next bill will prevent churches and pastors from preaching against murder or counseling their parishioners not to seek abortions. Yeah, probably. Why not? Hate speech, wouldn't it be? That's Illinois. It's nothing to be proud of. That's DuPage County, as represented by Tara Costa Howard and all the other pro-abort Dem socialists that have been elected in all the other DuPage County communities. Those people voted them in. Uh, who, who's left? Amy Grant and Wheaton? And what kind of leadership does she provide? Republican Party speaking out about this? All those uh, alleged pro-life legislators? How about um, just sort of common sense? How about civilized? Forget party affiliation. If you don't, address this issue, then you might as well just formally throw in with the Michael Hugos of the world because you're de facto doing it anyway. You might as well just be categorized with them, these phony pro-life GOP legislators. They're as, as noxious, maybe more so, because they're, they're the ones actually, ironically, engaged in deceptive practices. I titularly pro-life because that's what I need to you know, avoid a primary election. I'm not going to do anything about it. A lot of people exposed. A lot of phony pro-life Republicans exposed. Jeff and Cal City are on Chicago's Morning Answer. Uh, good morning, Dan and Amy. Dan, I'm very surprised. Whatever happened to you doubling down? I mean, you should be supporting euthanasia for those children born with unique abilities that made it past birth. Uh, I mean, and infanticide. I mean, give them what they want. This is what they want. I mean, the state, if the state feels that you're you're too costly on them, let them get rid of them. Uh, well, thanks for the call, Jeff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's uh, quality of life and then there's life itself. Right. John Naperville. Yeah, three quick points. Number one, a stenographer does diagnose. All they do is they're technicians that take the ultrasound. Number two, I thought the Dems were uh, pro-women's health care. Number three, I agree with this guy. Let's take it to its logical end. You know, he looks a little bit portly. Maybe those that are overweight that put a little bit more burden on our health care system, get rid of them. How about the children that can't read or do math at grade level? Get rid of them. Or the illegal immigrant that comes over and is a burden on our, our services. Let's get rid of all them, too. Why stop at this? Thanks for the call, John. Dr. Christina Francis is uh, a OBGYN. I think she practices medicine in Indiana. She's also the president of the American Association of Pro-Life OBGYNs. And what did I say before? Silence you professionally if you're not on board with the prenatal executions. Dr. Christina Francis explaining what happened to her and her representation of the American Association of Pro-Life OBGYNs when they were scheduled, after they were scheduled to present at an upcoming conference of OBGYNs. 
I'm Dr. Christina Francis. I'm the incoming CEO of the American Association of Pro-Life OBGYNs. I'm here today in National Harbor, Maryland, outside of the hotel where the APCO CREOG conference is being held. This is a conference for physicians who are educating the next generation of OBGYNs. We've exhibited at this conference for the last 15 years, and I was planning on being inside this hotel today at our exhibit booth, which we booked last year. However, just a few days ago, after already having traveled to this area, we were informed that our exhibit booth had been canceled by ACOG. Despite multiple requests for an explanation as to why, the only explanation we've received is a vague explanation that we disagree with ACOG, presumably on the issue of abortion. This is very interesting considering the theme of this year's conference, which is building bridges. However, ACOG is showing yet again that they have no desire to build bridges with those of us who disagree even a little bit with them on their position on abortion. This is especially dangerous for medical students and residents as it normalizes intentional feticide as part of women's healthcare, which we know that it is not. It also suppresses scholarly debate. Scientific advancement is made through the free exchange of ideas and through critically looking at both sides of an issue and deciding which the evidence better supports. However, ACOG obviously is afraid for students and residents and for their medical educators to be exposed to any other position on abortion other than their radical position. And so as the incoming CEO of the American Association of Pro-Life OBGYNs, I'd like to openly invite Dr. Maureen Phipps, CEO of ACOG, to a scholarly debate on the impact of elective abortion on the health of women. I will meet her anytime, any place, so that we can present both sides of this issue and allow not only the general public, but also the next generation of physicians to decide for themselves what the evidence supports. Yeah, that's the kind of hate mongering and crazy talk that needs to be silenced. And so the American Congress of Obstetricians and Gynecologists will not indulge Dr. Francis and uh, her colleagues on these issues. We don't debate. We impose, you see. Kevin, Austin, Texas. Uh, I appreciate you guys bringing up this topic. So I have a daughter with Down syndrome. She just turned 15 years ago. Um, so let's go 15 years ago and eight months. Uh, my wife was in the doctor since it was our session child. I didn't go with, and they did a little test on the back of the neck to see if something's wrong. Uh, and that's when we first discovered something was going on. Um, the doctor at the time said, you know what, this is a cat. We can take care of this, you know, pretty quickly, but since this is a Catholic hospital, you'd have to go somewhere else. Uh, the deck, the deck is stacked against fathers and mothers who are pro-life and want to bring their child into the world. It was an extremely difficult pregnancy. We, we weren't sure if my daughter was going to make it. Uh, after she was born, uh, there was a hole in the heart. She was in the NICU for 33 days. We had to gavage feed her, which is a tube in her nose. To, so she had the nourishment of her because the doctor wanted her to grow as much as possible. So instead of working on a peanut, he can work on a walnut to have her heart fixed. Right now, she is uh, a beautiful joy, uh, but I got to tell you, it's brutal. And I get so insulted when the left uses the idea of uh, inclusion. Inclusion had to start with children with disabilities getting uh, a good education, and then they hijacked it for this other alphabet stuff. This is why fathers, uh, fathers especially, need to get involved advocate for the children with special needs because the deck, the deck is stacked against you. And I'm all for free speech, but if 
people, you know, who use, uh, you know, jokes in that manner, that in, in, insult, you know, short butts jokes and stuff like that. You have all the right to use it, but you have the uh, do you have the brains not to? This is why, again, fathers with children with special needs get involved um, to to fight against this this leftist thing because the 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 deck is stacked against you. I'm sorry, I'm repeating myself. A little right. emotional about this, but yeah. uh, you know it's 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 so ghoulish and it's so disgusting. Anyhow, I appreciate you guys bringing up this topic. Thanks for the call, Kevin. Appreciate you sharing the story of your daughter. Uh, I have a friend who has a daughter, mm-hmm. and um, same test, tested for Downs, um, came back positive. They were, they had her anyway. They were always going to have her anyway. Right. The test was wrong. Really? The test was wrong. Wow. I've never heard that before. And so now think about if they had found out that the test was wrong and made that other choice. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer. Your show keeps me alive during the week. There's nobody I'd rather listen to between 5 and 9 in the morning than you guys. On AM 560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Jake from the State Department was making the rounds on the Sunday talkies, as we discussed yesterday, including with uh, uh, Jim Carafano. Lieutenant Colonel Jim Carafano, uh, saying that uh, despite this Wall Street Journal report, that Department of Energy officials uh, have concluded that the COVID virus leaked from the Wuhan Virology Lab. There is no consensus among the intelligence community, so the administration is not going to take a position on the origination. Where, but 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 be assured, rest assured that Joe Biden is dogged in his search for the truth on this. Give me a break. I mean, if you read the report, yes, a number of people on that board said, yes, the Wuhan virus, the COVID was leaked from that lab in Wuhan. And then John Kirby yesterday is trying to walk it back. There is not a consensus right now in the U.S. government about exactly how COVID started. Uh, There is just not an intelligence community consensus. The president believes it's really important that we continue that work and that we find out as best we can how it started so that we can better prevent a future pandemic. I think they should hire OJ to find the real origination of the virus. (laughs) He's free, yeah. Uh, When he's done finding uh, Miss Brown's real killers. Um, yeah, uh, the no consensus line. Good uh, observation by the Wall Street Journal editorial board on that. No, and no consensus in the intelligence community. That's the pat line that you heard now from uh, Jake and John from State Department. Wall Street Journal. So what? When was the last time there was an intelligence community consensus on anything? By its very nature, intelligence is usually murky and open to different interpretations. That's why agencies attach terms like low confidence or moderate confidence to their judgment. 
A difference in agency views can be useful because it means there's less of a chance of groupthink influencing policy choices. The crucial point in the DOE is that the DOE, Department of Energy, reached its conclusion based on new intelligence, as I referenced. It would be nice to know what intel finally tipped the scales, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be nice to know? But there's the supposed way, to be a transparent administration. In a related story, our friend, uh, Dr. Marty Macari, has uh, published a wonderful piece over at the New York Post. Ten myths, ten myths told by COVID experts and now debunked. Of course, the leak from the... The leak from the virology lab was a conspiracy theory is one of those. But it's just a nice sort of handy. You should laminate this, print it and laminate it. Nice handy. Here's uh, the 10 things the COVID experts got completely wrong. And th- that's just 10. I'm sure there are more if uh, maybe there'll be a, a follow-up to this piece. But it's it's really good. And he reminds us something else about the uh, designation that the origination and the virology lab you know, escaped from the the virology lab in Wuhan was a conspiracy theory. Reminds us something else. Uh, Dr. Francis Collins claimed, still does, he didn't believe the virus came from the lab. Ultimately, overwhelming circumstantial evidence points to a lab leak origin. The same origin suggested to Fauci by two very prominent virologists in January of 2020. According to documents obtained by Brett Baer, They told Fauci and Collins the virus may have been manipulated and originated in the lab, but then suddenly changed their tune in public comments days after meeting with NIH officials. The virologists were later awarded nearly $9 million from Tony Fauci's agency, NAIAD. Yeah. All the money. For more on all of this, we're pleased to be joined by somebody intimately familiar with the topic. He is Dr. Andrew Huff. He's a combat veteran, infectious disease epidemiologist, and whistleblower, author of the book, The Truth About Wuhan, How I Uncovered the Biggest Lie in History. Dr. Huff, thanks for joining us again. Appreciate it. Well, good morning, and thank you for having me back on the show. Well, uh, you uncovered the truth, and now at least some in the quote-unquote intelligence community are uh, open to recognizing it. Yes, and what's so fascinating here is I actually used to be a senior member of the technical staff at Sandia National Laboratories. That's one of the national laboratories managed by the Department of Energy. So a lot of people have been asking, you know, why is the Department of Energy giving an opinion here? It's well because the uh, DOE controls and runs or manages the national laboratory system. And a big component of that is uh, biological weapons, uh, bioterror, pandemics, pandemics response, uh, even public health in the context of national security and warfare. And I, that's exactly where I used to work. So I'm sort of familiar with this process. The other benefits of the national laboratories doing this type of work is that they have access to uh, top secret intelligence and uh, technology, which civilian scientists or academics don't. So oftentimes when you work in the national laboratory, you have a much better sense of the bigger picture of what's really going on. And sometimes that intelligence isn't really of any value to your scientific work, but it helps you give some insight or put it into context. Yeah, the only way the you can funny, the only way you can obtain those top secret documents otherwise is to go to Joe Biden's garage. <laughs> right. Or uh well or any of the presidents, I guess, yeah, or right. any of the past elected officials that just, you know, carry these things around. And I used to joke that 
the first time I sat in a top secret briefing, when I walked out, I said, I could have Googled all that information and figured it out. <laughs> there wasn't really anything that, that was too sensitive in it. And that was actually more of my experience while I was in the military when I was younger, too. I mean, uh, these analysts put together this, this information, and then they stamp it secret or top secret. And sometimes these young a- analysts don't really understand what they're doing. They're just assigned a project. But that's getting off topic. Uh, so the interesting thing about this Wall Street Journal article is that this is actually the second report from the Department of Energy. The first one came out from Lawrence Livermore Laboratory, which is out on the West Coast. And that was from the Z Division, which is the intelligence component of uh, scientific research and technology there. So that was an intelligence-focused report. This, this report that came from Los Alamos National Laboratory was the sister group that I used to work with at Sandia. And these are more hardcore um, scientists at the, you know, in, in premier scientists in the country who, who probably worked on this report. I don't know that for a fact, but I can just sort of guess and read between the lines here. So what what you're seeing here is you have two different reports now from the Department of Energy. One came from intelligence, one came from scientists. And now this is also corroborated by a separate independent report from the Federal Bureau of Investigation. So now we have three different reports that use different data assessment and methods that all come to the same conclusion that SARS-CoV-2, COVID-19, leaked out of the, the, the Wuhan Institute of Virology. There's still uh, some debate whether or not the Chinese intentionally released it. Um, I'm in the weak camp because I haven't seen the facts um, to support an intentional release. I'm open to it, but I think that the facts, which I actually discuss in the book, suggest that it was actually a leak and not an intentional release. So it was accidental. But do you feel vindicated by this Department of Energy report? Well, I... I I, I don't find vindication in any of this. The one thing that, that I just want to point out is that look at all the people that were censored, smeared. You know, I was called a fringe epidemiologist, and then I you know, received all the different harassment and criminal activities from the government for coming forward with what my expertise is and what I know and just telling the truth. And you should listen to us and not the other people that they had been putting on TV and in front of cameras for the past year, uh, three years because we're, we're the real experts. Another cool announcement I, I was able to, to make yesterday, actually, is that over the weekend, there's a big development. Um, I've met with a number of Hollywood producers and filmmakers over the past few months, and my book's actually being developed into a full feature film, which begins next month. Oh, really? So, mil- Congratulations. Yep, millions of people. Thank you. Millions of people are going to see this, and it's going to be in film form. I'm going to be an executive producer on the film, and I'm actually going to help write the screenplay so it's accurate. So this is, this is big who, news. Who's who's going to play you? I don't know. So they actually brought in a couple different actors when I was at one of these fancy Hollywood parties and they, they were making pitches to, you know, see who would be a good fit. The, the one issue is I'm actually really tall. I'm like, I'm six five. And uh, it's sometimes difficult to find actors who are in that height category. So that's just an interesting challenge. And I don't know anything about this business, of course. I'm flying by the seat of my pants, but the maybe, people maybe, that I'm working with. Maybe Brad Garrett in a dramatic role, you know, from Everybody it, Loves Raymond. Yeah, I mean, I'll have to like, check like, him out. I, like I don't know what he looks like. Yeah. I, uh, so, well, Dax Shepard was. People say I look like Dax Shepard. I think I'm more handsome than he is, though. So. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, you, you and Dax and the other Hollywood elites work that out. Um, yeah. But I wanted I wanted to ask you from the the Wall Street Journal and and that background on on uh, the Department of Energy is helpful. But from that Wall Street Journal article and the the Department of Energy, you know, new intelligence. Do you have any supposition as to what is new that uh, provided the basis of that report? No, I don't. And to, to pretend like I would know would be silly. The the thing here is though. All the information that has been out, which I used to write my book, should have been enough for two key words that are, are legal terms or phrases, preponderance of evidence 
or beyond a reasonable doubt. So for civil cases um, and prosecution of those cases in this country, preponderance of evidence is the standard. And to launch criminal prosecution or have a criminal prosecution and convict needs to be beyond a reasonable doubt. There has never been a time in U.S. history where you need a consensus unless that's to convict the person right after the trial convenes. But we should be having uh, criminal proceedings brought against Dr. Anthony Fauci, Dr. Peter Daszak, Dr. Ralph Barrick, and Dr. Ian Lipkin. These people are criminals. They're responsible for genocide. And who are we as Americans if we don't fix this problem? It's the United States that's primarily responsible here. I mean, yes, this virus did leak or was released in China, but without the mismanagement of government funds, programs, intelligence programs, this agent wouldn't have ever wound up in China in the first place. And the people that profiteered off this uh, and basically steered and lied all of U.S. policy in the whole world need to be held accountable. And that's my ultimate goal here. Um, it, you, it's interesting you bring up, and I, I want to get to, I want to come back to the, the statement you made about criminal charges and, yeah. and allegations of genocide. But it's interesting you bring up EcoHealth Alliance. That's the um, outfit that uh, Marty McCarty was referring to in his post that, in his post article that he didn't mention. But uh, EcoHealth Alliance uh, issued a statement back on December 5th of last year when your book came out. And uh, this didn't age well. Among the responses to your book they offered, Mr. Huff argues the origin the origin of COVID-19 is definitely due to a lab leak, yet produces no scientific evidence to support the case. To the contrary, the emerging consensus based on peer-reviewed scientific evidence is that COVID-19 originated through zoonotic spillover. Boy, wow. they may want to scrub their websites uh, after this weekend's uh, reporting and the other report you mentioned as well. But um, but your relationship with EcoHealth Alliance and their um, that they, they, they did an extensive multi-point response to your book. Um, they they clearly want to uh, undermine your credibility. Oh, absolutely. And and so what happened actually that weekend was really interesting. So uh, my attorney, Tom Renz, had, had invited all the mainstream media out to a medical freedom event to listen to him speak about what information I had brought forward publicly. And he sat down with them to take questions at the end of his presentation uh, to the audience. And they were sort of stumped because he knew and he understood that the mainstream media or many of the players that were going to try to smear me or twist the story, but they can't because they're facts. So that weekend, um, the New York Post ran a story where it said, I claimed that I worked at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Well, one, I've never done that. Two, I didn't speak with anyone at the New York Post about that. And then immediately after that, EcoHealth Alliance puts out the statement saying, I didn't work at the WIB. I mean, that's sort of strange. But if you actually go look at that statement, they, they don't really comment on any of the facts of the book. And they couldn't even possibly had a copy of the book yet because the, the, the shipments for the book just started going out. So unless they stole it and, and found a copy some, by some other means, how did they know it was in the book? Well, they probably didn't. And they, they don't address any of the key points in my book. And, you know, they're trying to undermine it and say that I didn't know what's going on. Well, the, the facts are, I was the best employee at EcoHealth Alliance, and that's why I was you know, promoted at a very young age, within a year, from a senior scientist to an executive. I brought in $6 million within a year. I made the organization solvent. I, have, I actually posted all these documents on Twitter to prove it. And I had a glowing performance review, almost nearly perfect. Like, you know, if you had to give the same points, it was like 99.5 points from Dr. Dasik himself. So... You know, everything what they're saying doesn't add up. And this is just more of the same. And when I read the document, it actually feels like Dr. Gask wrote that himself. I can't believe his lawyers allowed him to 
or allowed Ecoff Alliance to put out a statement like that. So, so uh, glaringly false. But I think they're in panic right now. I mean, they've all lawyered up. They won't speak on the record. I went on the record. Um, it's just more of the same, unfortunately. But I think the one thing that everybody in the country wants and the world wants is wants our agencies like the FBI and the Department of Justice to step up here and bring charges against these people. Yeah, what, what do you want, Dr. Fauci? What do you think he should be charged with? Well, what were they're, his wrongdoings? They're, they're accessories to, to mass murder, and I, I'm not sure. You know, I'm not. I'm not an attorney. I'm not too too familiar with federal code, but he should be facing life in prison and the death penalty. I mean, the charges are that serious. I mean, we think about it. We've lost trillions of dollars. We have millions of people dead, and because he mismanaged a government program, and then if you look at the response, it's equally criminal. Um, Dr. Dasik, for example, he would be accessory to a crime or a misappropriation of government funds. He should be facing life in prison and the death penalty as well. I mean, you have to look at the consequences of their actions. And the one problem that I raised while I worked at Equal Alliance and executive meetings, I, I actually came out and I was opposed in executive meeting to gain a function research for this reason. You can't predict how viruses will emerge in nature. So how can we edit one in a laboratory to make medical countermeasures, AKA MRNA vaccines, that will be effective. The whole idea is nonsense. And, and furthermore, I brought up in an executive meeting that we shouldn't be doing the work in China because China might steal from us, they might screw it up. And that was just me trying to protect the company. So what you have here and what I bring to the table, at least against Dr. Dasik is, there was a willful disregard for safety and security by an executive officer at this company which resulted in the deaths of millions. Yeah, yeah, you're arguing and, crim criminal negligence, essentially, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, interesting. Dr. Andrew Hoff, combat veteran, infectious disease epidemiologist, and author of The Truth About Wuhan, How I Uncovered the Biggest Lie in History. Dr. Hoff, thanks for joining us again. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you, and he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. You're listening to Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Insert Democrat Socialist here. Runs the Democratic House law for 30 plus years running. He's promising this and he's stealing that. Where can you get that kind of money? He's using your house like his own piggy bank, gang, 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 gang. You ought to know by now. You can pay off your house here in Illinois, but you can never keep up with the taxes. Oh, how it's always been the plan to have a taxpayer pay, no doubt. Not a matter of if anymore, but when you're moving out. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. That theme song means it's time for our weekly confab with Ted Dabrowski, president of WirePoints.org, all things Illinois, and Chicago, because Chicago's included in Illinois, yes, policy-related. A new report uh, they did on the CTA. If you want a reminder as to why you shouldn't vote for Lori Lightfoot today, all you have to do is take the CTA to the polling place. I mean, if you can survive that CTA ride to a nearby polling place. The um, top line, I'll let uh, Ted break it down, but uh, pre-pandemic versus last year, ridership is down and... Crime is up? Violent crime is up hey. in, in aggregate terms, not as a percentage of ridership either, just in aggregate terms. 
and the ridership, as you may uh, surmise, is down considerably. Ted, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Hey, good morning, guys. Thanks for having me on. All right, so you uh, looked at uh, what's going on on the uh, trains and buses. Uh, I don't think CTA has planes yet, maybe someday. Uh, what's happened uh, 2019 to 2020 on the CTA? Well, you know, you have to understand that on the CTA and on Metro and everything, right, we've had this massive collapse of, of ridership, uh, you know, 50% down. So, you know, we, we looked at the ridership, we looked at the mileage, people riding it's, it's massively down and yet violent crimes were up so you know if you go back to 2019 you had about you know again it's 900 violent crimes and you have another uh, you know 14 percent increase uh in 2022 and this is after lightfoot's initiatives uh you know they, they've, they've done a beat down i think you've covered it on, on the cta uh, chief um and yet you know you had two murders back in 2019 you had nine murders in 2022 that's of course the scary one um but the, the the hard part to understand is how do you have such a collapse where the system's empty most of the time and maybe that maybe that's an argument for why you have more crime i don't know um but the system's empty a lot of the time and yet you had even more violent crimes than you did in 2019 and that just speaks to the whole the whole problem we've talked about and uh, you, you know you covered it very well with matt uh matt rosenberg our yeah, the guy covering uh, this and, uh, you know, this this crime in, in Chicago, uh, you know, we, we've led the nation in murders for, for 11 straight years. And, you know, I didn't know that until we did that report. 11 straight years where we're number one. Uh, you know, we have five times the murder rate of, of New York City, five times. You know, when you look at it on a per capita basis, um, you know, we've got a five percent arrest rate for all these major crimes. Uh, it's It's a mess. And, you know, the sad part is. I don't see any of that changing uh, with this election uh, overall. Uh, well, really, you don't think up, you don't see one. Flat. Sorry for interrupting, but you don't see one candidate out there that would change this, or at least, <laughs> well, at least get <laughs> to Kim. Do you have a name? Do you have a name you like to volunteer? Well, it's not throwing out, you know, a thousand more police. You got to get to Kim Fox. You got to get to the the criminal system. Well, well that's, that's what well, has Amy, to. Amy, you hit the point. Change. You know, they all. You know, the, the biggest thing they'll all say is more police on the street, if they say that at all. And and that's fine. But that's like saying put more money in CPS. Right. I mean, you can dump as much money as you want to CPS. It doesn't matter. It's, it's a failed system. It won't work. So you can put more cops on the street. But if, if they're demoralized and know that they're at risk of, of, of doing anything, they'll never do anything. So just you're spending more money for the same thing. Uh, whoever leads, whoever leads has to like strongly attack Kim Fox, strongly attack Tim Evans, strongly push back against the Safety Act. And I haven't heard one of those guys or gals say that. And so uh, I think overall, it's really and this won't happen until we hit a new point. We're not there yet. And I think that that uh, that uh, that person from San Francisco, uh, the, the wealthy guy, Michael Moritz, who wrote that piece. Yeah. Until you get enough Chicagoans sick of what's happening, and we're nowhere near that yet, um, we're not going to have change. And it has to be that you're against this kind of equity, social justice type leadership and into one where merit and, and, and competency matter again. And we're nowhere near that. I uh, I went to an event yesterday with the um, CFO of the state of Florida. Florida is interesting in the the way their state government works. They uh, have four cabinet level officers that are elected: the CFO, the ag commissioner, the attorney general, the governor, and then there's subordinate agencies under each uh, cabinet uh, official. 
Um, but anyway, so CFO of the state of Florida, which is just an interesting concept in and of itself to have a formal CFO, a comptroller treasurer that we have, and you know the bifurcated but somewhat redundant responsibilities. And anyway, the CFO, um, the state of Florida, sitting on twenty billion dollars uh, in cash reserves, a AAA bond rating. Does they have the highest cash reserves they've ever had in the state's history? Triple uh, A bond rating. So, could, could I mean, just generally speaking, you, can you compare and contrast that with uh, uh, where we are now, including under Governor Jelly Belly, since he is trying to make himself relevant nationally by uh, hitting DeSantis, as frankly are all the mayoral candidates uh, over the last couple of weeks, too? Yeah, I mean, I mean, think about that if you're talking to um, a potential investor who wants to build a car plant or any kind of, you know, any kind of facility. And you can say that you're AAA rated, you're very well run, your population has grown by whatever it is, 4 million in the last decade or whatever the number was. Um, you know, it gives you a lot of power saying, come here. You don't have to worry about taxes going crazy on your, on your investment like, they, like uh, Warren Buffett warned about Illinois. Um, you can be successful here. Or you can go to Illinois, which is the lowest rated state in the country, uh, you know, was, nearly, was nearly junk rated. It hasn't done anything about these massive pension debts, and somebody's going to have to pay them off if there's no reform. It's shrinking. I mean, this is what, you know, Pritzker wants us to believe that he's competitive vis-a-vis Illinois, I mean, vis-a-vis Florida. And it's just so wrong. And then you see these things like Stellantis uh, yesterday saying they're going to shutter the, uh, the uh, plant in, in Belvedere. Uh, it's, it's, you know, everything is going the wrong way. And yet somebody like Pritzker tries to present a pretty picture. And it's just dishonest. It's a dishonest assessment of, of where we are. Yeah, he's trying to get electronic vehicle uh, manufacturers here. That's his big push. Well, I tell you that if, if he's trying that, he's it's it's a big failure so far. And you know, the the, the legislature gave him a four hundred million dollar slush fund to, to hand out to get somebody to come here, but he's so far he's over eighteen and trying to get these EV battery or manufacturing plants. And and you know, with, with the way things are going, it's going to be even tougher for him. But also, too, I mean, I know we talked about this before, and this is like green eye shade stuff that uh, a lot of people don't care about, understand, worry about. But, I mean, if you put it in a business context it, 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 to people that actually can read a balance sheet and have to uh, abide a bottom line, it means something. But, I mean, just even the AAA bond rating in Florida versus our bond rating. And so paying a point and a half uh, less on interest for to borrow, I mean, that, that's, that's, that is real money that's just being wasted because we're – a profligate state, uh, you know, for all these people about, oh, pour more money into this and pour more money into that. And money should be going here and money should be going there. Uh, meanwhile, they're, you know, paying uh, the they're, they're paying 21 percent uh, interest on their maxed out credit card. Yeah, I mean, that's that's really, you know, OK, so so, yes, you know, bad credit rating means you, you know, it's like any, anybody who's got a bad credit score. You pay a ton more on your on your debt if you're trying to buy a car or a house. Uh, but I, I think what's really the most significant thing about that difference in credit rating is AAA means you're really well run. You are a place of, of reputation. Uh, you're good. Uh, and when you're at the bottom, when you have the lowest credit rating, if you have the lowest credit score, kind of means you're, you're kind of, you know, you're risky. You're, you're not a well-run yeah. place. You're, you're right. kind of a, a fiscal bum. So and that, that means a lot more because that's about investment and, and attracting people and companies. The only thing I, the only sort of, you know, you try to look for green shoots. Um, they're difficult to find in Chicago and Illinois. But 
There is some evidence that school choice is still gaining in popularity, and uh, it's now essentially a majority viewpoint, even in the city of Chicago, even with an electorate that is so committed to self-harm as the Chicago electorate. They, there's too, they're, they're enough of a constituency has been built, and word has gotten around, based on the real-world experience, that school choice is something that is here to stay. Is that your read? Yeah, I, I would say that's my read. And I, I, I tell you, you know, this stuff I've been doing been in this policy world for, for about 15 years. And um, what's been fascinating the last three weeks was how much attention has been given to the failure schools. When we put out that, that information about, first of all, those empty schools, empty failing schools that are in Chicago, and then we followed it up with the, um, the you know, not a single kid can read in, in, in these ex-schools in Chicago and Illinois. Uh, our, the national attention we've gotten on that has been phenomenal, and, and a lot of that, of course, was, was it here in Illinois. I think people are, are becoming awake to the fact that it's it's a failed system, right? We keep saying the same numbers over and over. Just you know, one out of ten CPS kids can can read at grade level, right? And it's one out of twenty for math. You know, how can that be? And and the more that we can get that message out, the more then that there has to be a different solution. They can't just be throwing more money in and. Uh, and as we learn is that nearby states, Indiana's got school choice. I was putting in this massive school choice. You know, Milwaukee's had it for a long time. Wisconsin's had it for a long time. Uh, we're going to be, again, surrounded by school choice states. We're going to be the odd ones out. And given the results we have and how much we spend, we're, the, we're odd on both of those, right? We're extreme outliers on how much we spend and how bad we are. Um, it's it's going to be a huge opportunity, Dan. I think the school choice is you know, maybe the one that we, we use to break the, the back of all this uh, – control that they have at uh, at CPS and at the state level. Do you have any um, um, theory um, or prediction as it relates to Amendment 1 and when uh, Illinois will start feeling the impact of Amendment 1? Well, you know, we we put out a piece. I think the biggest impact that's going to be felt is in property taxes in the, the first stage. And that's because all these school contracts are negotiated every three, four, five years. And so the first school contracts that are being renegotiated start uh, sometime in the middle of this in the middle of this year, and then they kick in over the next year and a half, something like three or four hundred contracts. And every one of those, you can bet that it won't just be that they want more money to cover, you know, the, the inflation and you know COVID risks and all that. They're going to put in all kinds of additional things um, on you know the, the way you're looking at all these books that they're reading and the sex ed. They're going to they're going to call it safety for teachers and safety for kids and put them in the, in the contracts. So I think it's going to start showing up there the most. And, um, you know, if there's a chance in the surround schools again and, and a chance for parents to say, no way, that's going to be it. Now, the question is, is that the mover in Illinois finally, like, like, the, like the Virginia movement? I don't know. But, um, but Amendment 1 is, is, you know, the worst, the worst bill we've ever had. Uh, and, and at some point, it's going to have to be unwound. It's just a question of, you know, does it take? you know, 10 years, 20 years, but uh, along with pensions, it's going to bring down Illinois. It's just a question of how fast it happens and whether people react to it sooner or later. Well, you'll be there to document it because, of course, uh, very few people in the state are able to connect any dots or make much of an effort to, so you're going to have to connect them for them, and that's what wirepoints.org does. Ted Dabrowski, president of wirepoints.org, thanks so much, as always. Thank you, guys. Thank you, and he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. If you're talking about it. Dan and Amy are talking about it. It's Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. 
This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. We uh, talked about Scott Adams killing Dilbert, his Dilbert cartoon strip, effectively, over the weekend. We talked about that uh, a good deal yesterday, but um, I want to talk to our next guest about it as well, get his perspective. So just to reset what happened this weekend, Scott Adams took to social media and posted this perspective. So if if, nearly half of all blacks... Uh, are not okay with white people, according to this poll, not according to me, according to this poll, uh, that's a hate group. That's a hate group. And I don't want to have anything to do with them. And I would say, you know, based on the current way things are going, the best advice I would give to white people is to get the hell away from black people. Just get the f*** away. And he went on from there. Um, he... Uh... Subsequent to all the furor and the denunciations and the uh, repudiation of his cartoon strips by his syndicator and the major papers that still carried it, he did a podcast interview with a podcaster named Hotep Jesus in which he provided some context to what he had to say. You know, there was purpose behind it, of course, but you're not going to get that sort of consideration from the knee-jerk identitarian mob set. And he didn't. But here's the context. Um, If you are a a white man in America and you're watching the news and you're seeing this thing called CRT, critical race theory, you're seeing DEI uh, and ESG, all three letter things that have in common trying to reach some kind of equity, you know, racial balancing kind of situation. Now, I'll I'll ask you this question because you maybe you can uh, educate me. My understanding is that they all have at the base of their narrative that white people, mostly white men, have uh, created a situation and continue to perpetuate one that's bad for black people. Is that a fair statement? Yes. So what would be the most natural way you would feel if the narrative from the media, from college, from high school, your teachers your parents, if the media was very, um, let's say, cohesive and it said white people are the problem, do you think that would affect how people, how black people thought about white people? Yes. Would it have any effect? Yes. And and assuming it's a negative effect, would that, would it be reasonable for somebody to say, wait, there's this group of people, I don't have any problem with any individual and I don't want to change the constitution Right, right. Everybody's got to be treated equally. But it's a little bit smarter for me to stay away from a group who has been brainwashed to dislike me exactly. Like me exactly. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a rich white guy in America. I, I'm, I'm very much right in the center of those crosshairs. Now, does that mean that I think everybody should avoid their neighbor? No. Does that mean I'm never going to talk to a black person? No. Does that mean I won't hire black people? No. doesn't mean any of that. And also, I assume people know hyperbole when they see it, right? <laughs> well, do they? Do they? And, I mean, I appreciate uh, his perspective. For example, um, the uh, Awfuls, 
the angry white leftist female. I want to stay away from them. Okay. So does that make me a misogynist? I don't think so. Reverend Dean Nelson is the VP of Government Relations at the Human Coalition and chairman of the board for the Douglas Leadership Institute. That's as in Frederick Douglass. He's also going to be at the Black Conservative Summit uh, at the end of this month that you just heard advertised. Uh, Reverend Dean Nelson, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Man, thank you so much for the opportunity. Uh, so uh, I'm sure you are aware of the Scott Adams controversy, and I don't know if you had uh, heard um, um, you know, the different parts of it, including his subsequent interview with Hotep Jesus. But what, what was your uh, overall takeaway on what he was? you think he was attempting to do and how successful or not he was in his attempt? Yeah, there are always people that are trying to uh, divide. Uh, there are people that are trying to kind of protect. Uh, I, I come from the school of thought from Martin Luther King Jr. and Frederick Douglass. Looked to identify problems within culture, but together right way to overcome those challenges, not denigrate one group against the other uh dr king's famous thoughts with regard people being of their skin but the their character and frederick Douglass stating that we would work with anybody to do right and nobody to do wrong we understand that there's been a history of racism and the challenge within america however i'm one of those who simply believes that america is a great nation and that we together can overcome and solve many of the problems that we face if we're willing to do it together so we shouldn't avoid any group that doesn't respect us right well you know there are groups of people you know frederick Douglass's thought was look leave us alone let us the opportunity to stand on our own. And uh, I believe that, you know, the eugenics movement in America, you guys probably saw or read just over the weekend where there was a Democratic leader in Massachusetts. Oh, yeah, we covered Basically it. stated yeah. that there were, uh, if uh, you know, this with Down syndrome or other problems would have been aborted. And so that mindset, as was seen in Nazi Germany and other places, I don't think has a place in America, but that's the founding of uh, Planned Parenthood within our culture. Uh, its founder, Margaret Sanger, literally stated in a letter to Clarence Gamble in 1939 that we don't want her to go out, that we want to exterminate the Negro population. And she would work with ministers to try to, you know, you know, people that the idea and so it's been around but i think again that there are people within our culture that seek there for a better culture so i, I mean i i'm just to be clear on this so your view on being a provocateur like uh, scott adams was attempting to be there to highlight uh this racialization of of, of our politics and our culture and how destructive that is, going in all sorts of different directions. He, he offered one initially and then explained another subsequently. Uh, I mean, does, is, that, is that unproductive? It may be attention-getting, but is it ultimately unproductive in your mind as compared to the, um, the unity message, the, the Frederick Douglass, I don't want— benefits conferred or removed to people based on their race, because that just gets in, you know, that just takes us down that spiral to 
uh, to, to where America was under slavery and Jim Crow. Uh, what, what is your view about approach? Yeah, you know, I think back to, you know, the I remember reading a report that 85 percent of black Americans said that America was fighting for. That was a time period where we had more um, discrimination, arguably, within our country. But they said that we unite and to work together for a better hope in the future. I think that of, um, you know, inflammatory and that line of I think is unproductive, particularly within our culture. Yeah. And I'm more concerned about finding and identifying people that can work together to build on the history and the success of America with the ideal that we are a more perfect union. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I, I, I understand what Scott Adams was trying to do, um, but I agree that, you know, he just uh, – he, you never get past the initial reaction, and, and then you just get sidelined because of the fury that it creates around it. So I, I agree with you that the approach was not the most productive way. But at the same time, you look at, like, Gallup polling, and uh, the question Gallup, speaking of another survey, not the survey Adams was referencing, the uh, Gallup uh, polling organization asked, would you say relations between white and black people are very good, somewhat good, somewhat bad, or very bad? Um, the very and somewhat good has gone from uh, uh, from black adults, 70 percent saying very or somewhat good, 62 percent of white adults. That was in 2001. Two decades later, it's only 43 percent of whites and 33 percent of blacks that say relations between the races are very or somewhat good. And I wonder if you think, um, well, I, I'll just leave it open ended. What do you attribute to the deterioration in both whites and blacks saying the relationship between the races isn't very good? Yeah, I think those kind of comments from Mr. Adams and the media that like upholds it and propagates it, I think that that's largely what we're dealing with. If you were to ask the average black American or white American to talk about their interaction during the course of the week with somebody of an opposite, I guarantee you that most of it would be favorable. We yeah. work together. Totally. We sometimes live in communities together. I feel like that we day to day, it's fine. But when we watch the news, when we hear these things, it creates this image. And then we, you know, isolated things that we show on television and all create this. And I think that that's in part of what um, I think certain elitists do it more division within our culture um i know in my own world every day we work together we walk together um we interact together um not always having the same ideas and the same beliefs but i think that we do well together and i believe it would be much better if we were to hide things rather than isolating the incidents and like these type of things that Mr. Adams was discussing. What about um, instances like um, what, well, what's going on in, in our cultural institutions where it is the left and oftentimes uh, blacks on the left that are pushing for neo-segregation? There was a, a black mom who had to school, sue, famously now, um, her local grammar school because they literally were putting all the black kids in one class and all the white kids in another class. That's the very thing that 
Luther King Jr. again, like worked to uh, to to do the opposite, right? We were trying to in, increase uh, it was integration. This is and that is that particularly in institutions, whether it's media, academia, we do have a philosophy that with black elites that do not represent the values and the attitudes of most ordinary black Americans. And I believe that those are the, that we need to uh, offer uh, a different, uh, uh, a picture for our country. Um, I'd recognize that is a reality, whether it's in government, whether it is in uh, the media, but that is still not really representative of everyday uh, Americans, and I think that we need to do a better job of highlighting the real stories of people who get along and work together. Yeah, I mean, that's what that's what uh, Bob Woodson and, and he does so brilliantly in the 1776 Unites Project is tell the success stories, too, that can be emulated and uh, scaled. Um, I, I, I wonder, you know, we, we're, we've got Election Day in Chicago today, as you no doubt know. And um, you think about uh, the disintegration of our big cities. And I wonder if you are of the belief, and I'm not trying to outsource this, but if you're of the belief sure. that it's going to be black conservative leaders, the, the, the next generation of Bob Woodson's and Shelby Steele's and Glenn Lowry's and you, um, that are going to uh, have to lead the, uh, the, the effort to engender a renaissance in big city America and and then by extension sort of a renaissance uh, for America more generally I certainly hope so and I'm trying to do everything that I can to inspire a next generation I was speaking last week at Princeton as well as uh, another uh, private college up in um, Grand Rapids Michigan and I find that there take for and for guidance from younger generations of black and I will like um, uh, immigrant Americans who understand that you know this country has not been perfect but this country offers a pathway again to success and to freedom I mean I could use the example in Chicago where I could complain about uh, you know the high abortion rate I could complain about the eugenics movement and Planned Parenthood but what I've done is the work that Human Coalition, we have a telecare program that we run that engages with women seeking abortions and for a thousand women last year, helping them to get the help and the resources that they need. 6% of women who are seeking abortions say that they would choose to if this were different. Well, how do we come alongside and engage in the epidemic of abortion within our culture to walk alongside of what background? ethnic having difficult we demonstrate a solution and so that's part of what i want to be known is what are the pathways for success engage people who uh, need the assistance that can actually uh, ultimately turn their lives around i think that our story and our narrative will be in future generations by the success that we do for people who want to uh, get a, a hand up uh, rather than vote and make a difference in their lives. I believe that that's what the emerging generation uh, would like to be involved with. And I believe that those leaders, as you've named, 
responsibility is to be able to pass the baton to that generation, giving them a sense of hope, but also giving them a sense you make a difference uh, in generation. He is Reverend Dean Nelson, the VP of Government Relations at the Human Coalition, chairman of the board for the Douglas Leadership Institute as well. He'll be uh, at the Black Conservative Summit in Chicago, March 24th and 25th. For more information on that, freedomjournalinstitute.org is where you want to go. Get all the details. Sign up to attend. Reverend Dean Nelson, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you. God bless. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. This is the morning show. More Chicago radio listeners are choosing. This is Chicago's morning answer on AM 560. The answer. (laughs) Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Election day in Chicago. Uh, Lori Lightfoot's epitaph. Write it for me because uh, today is her uh, functionally her last day as mayor. Of course, she'll serve out to May, but. Today, she learns that she will no longer be mayor of Chicago after May. So write her epitaph, political epitaph, for us. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. 64636-DA, turnkey.pro text line. Uh, I don't know. Why don't you start? What would it say? You know, I um, texted with a, a friend of mine who was a political consultant from Lightfoot at the outset in 2019, mm-hmm. but has long ago left. Uh, he said to me, in like a lion, out like a slaughtered lamb. I want to vomit every time I hear, quote, I'm just different. No one understands me or respected me, unquote, referring to what Lightfoot says. And uh, to me, that was um, the killer combination for triple threat. Self-satisfaction and complete lack of self-awareness. That is... Uh, that's the other, the triple threat that did her in, add to self-satisfaction and the lack of self-awareness. The uh, lack of counsel around her. She treated friends like minions, from what I understand. She did not have uh, anything around her other than yes men and women. She wanted sycophants. She didn't want pushback. Pushback and you're gone. That's a uh, poor quality in an executive. She plowed through a number of press secretaries. I mean, I've got five cards right here from different ones over the past four years. Yeah, she's, well, I mean, there's. Um, plowed through them. Yeah. Well, like that, I've never seen before in my life. A lot of bad qualities there. Self-satisfaction, lack of self-awareness. She made reporters of, feel bad if they were white. Lack of, uh, lack of counsel, lack of talent around. That's a triple threat, too. She made tic-tac videos that made the nation squeamish. Not a serious person. Triple threats, political epitaph. 312-642-5600. Turnkey.pro line. Tim Berwin. There was shrinkage. <laughs> oh, she's going to experience shrinkage today is what you're saying? Come 730 tonight? Uh, 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 pretty good. Uh, thanks for the call, Tim. That's so bad. I got the biggest schlong in Chicago. There was shrinkage. And then Italians fight back. Yeah, there was shrinkage. That's, that's pretty good. That's, really good. that's very succinct. I like that. Mike in Lakeview. Yeah, I might be a little late to the party after that last one, but my epitaph is, while Lori was wrong, she still had the biggest schlong. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Thank yeah, very good. Oh. Thanks for the call, Mike. Anti-shrinkage. Why did I know that 
people would immediately go into having the biggest joint in town. Because yeah. it's the most posture obscene thing a female mayor has ever said. It's still, uh, that I, case has yet to go to trial as I far know. as I know, but I'm, I'm looking forward to that even if she's out of office. I, I'd like to get her on the record on that. I want the audio so badly. I hope somebody recorded it during the Zoom. Uh, Paul in Worth. Yes, this is a story about uh, Paul Vallis when he was head of CPS. This is specifically for Amy. Mm -hmm. uh, way back when, when he was the head of the CPS, there was a well-funded, underperforming school on the southwest side. And a group of parents, high achievers and highly educated professionals, staged a hostile takeover and won the majority of uh, seats on the local school council. And they ran on such things as open the books, computerize the classrooms, English immersion, put teachers uh, qualified uh, to teach the proper grades, fire underperforming teachers, uh, more parent-teacher meetings, and safety in school. And when the principal and the teachers there at the school didn't like them, they called in Paul Vallis to uh, take over the local school council. And uh, uh, Paul Vallis obstructed the school local school council. He threatened them. He defamed them and accused them of all sorts of illegal acts. And... Uh, when Paul Vallis showed up to these meetings, he didn't show up with a couple female secretaries, but rather some big thugs from uh, Streets and Sand to take over the meetings. And Amy, all these reporters on the local beats, who do you think they sided with? The, the parents or Vallis? I'm going to guess Vallis. Yeah, you got it. See you guys. Goodbye. Thanks, Thanks for the call, Paul. Uh, Brian and Barrington. Hey, morning. How you guys doing? Good. 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 Just wondering when uh, Mayor Lightfoot's going to break out the race card. I'm sure he has. I mean, <laughs> many times. <laughs> it's gonna anytime, be she, anytime she had a challenger, yeah. she would say, this is just an attack on a black female gay woman. Yeah, it's going to be tough in a field with seven black candidates to play the race card. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, she'll we'll play see. the lesbian card. Thanks for the She's call, got a, guys. She might. I mean, there is a possibility that she could squeak this out with the undecideds, and a lot of people in the LGBTQ community are backing her. Yeah. See, here's here's how it works. Okay, tell me how. Uh, when a thirty-five percent turnout race, sure. mm -hmm. which is what it was in twenty nineteen, the primary. And remember, this is a electorate that is what three, four to, to one left to sane. Um, so it's institutional interests. What, who's the motivated voter? The institutional interests. The people that have inside deals or are on a government payroll. This is why the public sector unions have outsized influence in election outcomes like mayor of the city of Chicago. And with the trade splintered, no one coalescing behind any other candidate, that them not coalescing as a group behind any other candidate, where do the votes come from? What, what, who, wh where are the votes that she's going to be beating out of homes to the polling places? I, I don't see it. And I don't see it for Chewy either because he no missed the window of opportunity that he had I mean, when he entered the race. You, you have to, there has to be a discernible constituency. 
and even less so for Triple Threat than for Chewie because she's upside down. Everybody knows who she is. They have a hardened opinion of her, and it's two and a half to one negative. There's nowhere for her to go. 13, 15%, that doesn't get you into the runoff, and she's basically capped at that. Okay. That's what I think. And the whole che- Chewy thing, last entered the race, but immediately was polling at 27%, and now he's at 11. Whew, how quickly they fall. Greg and McHenry. Uh, it's easy. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. So here lies Beetlejuice. Hopefully there's no triple threat again. What about triple threat? I mean, let's just call it what it is. She came out and said, I am a triple threat. Triple threat, no longer a threat. Oh, man. Elliot Wilmot. Elliot. Hey, thanks for calling. <laughs> thanks for taking my call. Uh, I'll the answer be right is, uh, here. Please, my the answer is. <laughs> I'm sorry. Want to hear? We can't help ourselves. Is, yes, go. Yeah. I know. Bless you. The, uh, the answer is she used to say, it's nice out, think I'll leave it out. Now it's lights out, think we'll vote her out. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> it's nice Somebody texted in, a schlong so big, she needed six more pallbearers and a separate casket. Mm hmm. The schlong that slayed Chicago. Oh, yes. Tom Sadeka Barrington. Why does Tom always call Good it morning. his last name? Yeah, Tom, why can't you, you just want everybody to know Barrington? who you are? You're such a no. glory hound. Yeah. Tom I, Sadeka. I, I, I just, you can't just be just Tom from Tom. Barrington. It's got to be Tom Sadeka. No, I said Tom from Barrington. I always right. say that. You guys, right. throw, you guys throw in the last name. Yeah, Listen, well, we want everybody to know you. She can't get the votes from the prison population because Kim Fox has emptied those. They caught on to the K-12 through scam. So my epitaph is, good riddance, may she directly enjoy the benefits of her policies. You guys have a great day. Thank you. Thank you, Tom Sadeka, Barrington. Yeah. May she enjoy the benefits of her policies. Right. Sort of like uh, that scene from 300 when uh, Leonidas talks to the the humpback who... uh, Betrayed him. May you live forever. May Lori Lightfoot live forever in Ravenswood. Hmm. George Naperville. I think one of her biggest mistakes, she was an outsider, and she renamed a landmark road, Lakeshore Uh. Drive. There were songs about it. It was celebrated. I think that was a major mistake by her. The Jean Baptiste oh, Dupont. No, it's Lakeshore Drive. It's LSD. The it's Jean never going to be. No, don't, don't Dupont, say it. Point Bob Baptiste. Thanks for I hate. Call. Have you gone on Google or you know Google Maps and like turn right on Lakeshore Drive? It's like just say Lakeshore Drive, please. Corinne Jean Pierre Lakeshore Drive. Is that what it is? I butchered that. I've made two colossal mistakes today. First, thinking that the Illinois AG was Alexei Julius. I know it's Kwame Raul. And by yeah. the way, in case you're wondering, they're going to have hundreds of teams of investigators <laughs> monitoring the election citywide to make sure. Are you ready? Mm. We all have access to ballots. Oh, thank you. Mm. That should have already been taken care of, but all right. Well, maybe get somebody on this one. I uh, got a tweet in our direction. I went to the 28th precinct, this 19th ward, I think. I went to the 28th precinct. They couldn't find me on the rolls. I've been voting from this polling place since 1987. <laughs> Uh, and have been voting since 1982 without ever missing a vote. Oh uh, I was fixed, but I, I am a Republican. It was fixed, but I, I'm a Republican. The 19th where mine gets lost. Yeah, didn't have me on the rolls. Like I, I'm sure they got a lot of other people that are no longer with us on the rolls. But 
All right, so there you go. Kwame Rowell will be on the job post-haste. Mm -hmm. Greg LaGrange. Hi, good morning, guys. When, when Mayor Lightfoot has always been a triple threat to your life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness in Chicago. Yeah. But the irony of it all is is if she was just a nicer person, if she wasn't so miserable, if she wasn't so over-the-top abusive to her enemies, she'd probably stand a chance of being in the runoff. Totally because agree. because of her personality, she basically gave it all away because yep. she is just she was just a miserable human being as the mayor. And that's what cost her, and she has to live with it. Completely agree. She's Thanks for the call, Greg. And, and, and she's so self-satisfied and um, so empty and so lacking in self-awareness that she won't even realize that. But that's exactly right. This is not a repudiation of her policies because at least one of the candidates in the runoff, really both to a, a great extent, will pursue the very same policies. Not a repudiation of policy. So you th this is the whole uh, delusion among some that uh, getting rid of her will represent some sort of paradigm shift when it comes to policies and thus the quality of life in Chicago. It won't. Well, at least we can get a mayor who will stop TikToking. Well, that would be that's a start. And she's going to blame it on COVID policies. You know, people didn't like my COVID policy, but I saved your life. Will she, um, do you think she'll raffle off her Rona Buster costume? Because I'd buy that as a memento. Oh, you know you know what? She should raffle off her those costumes. And I wonder if she doesn't get into the runoff, which you claims it will not happen if she if, if anybody's going to seek her endorsement. No. No. Then it's off to Milan for her to go back on, get back on the runway. Well, will you stop it? Or maybe she could do, you know, hair commercials because she was the face of Chicago. She needed to get her hair cut, Dan. Well, we that's, couldn't. Remember that's that? True. Face of Chicago. Don't let it forget. Shut yeah, down the she, lakefronts, the parks, the gyms, restaurants, but then the vaccine card a year and a half later. That's true. We, we, could, food. we could keep her around as like, um, what? well, like like, um, like the uh, census cowboy. We oh. could keep her like trot her out for, you know, public events, face of Chicago. It's like, an, you know, an ambassador for the city. That was another embarrassment and also a lie because she did pay him $5,000. Yeah. I saw the contract. Yeah. Well, well I mean. They, she lied. She said well, she she, yeah. Okay. I mean, of course. Of course. I mean, the, the, better, the, the okay. shock, the shock of being lied to by a Chicago politician. Um, but no, I mean, but but on a serious note, Greg in the Grange is exactly right. Yeah. It was all her attitude. And, again, you hear this from within her own circles, at least formerly her circles, about how nasty she was to people that are otherwise trying to be helpful and supportive and were with her from the outset. And that's just a recipe to find yourself alone and out of office, which is the direction she's headed. Tom in Blue Island. Hey, good morning, Dan and Amy. Dan, you don't come off to me as being someone that um... – is dissatisfied a lot, but the thing I don't understand is outside of the lady I just saw driving down the street by herself with two masks on her face, <laughs> what could describe maximum punishment more than being stuck in the Hotel California and being forced to vote in the Chicago mayoral election? Yeah, well, right. Thanks for the call, Tom. Mm -hmm. uh, Jim, South Elgin. Good morning, everybody. Um, on Urban Talk Radio, a lot of people are supporting Willie Wilson for a lot of reasons. Okay. And it's not being talked about much, but uh, there's an undercurrent in urban America, Chicago, I think, they're supporting Willie Wilson. So we'll see what happens. Thanks for the call, Jim. Uh, yeah, I just don't think 
I don't think Willie ran the kind of campaign that would allow him to get in this field to, you know, that sort of 20% magic number. Um, could be wrong. Don't think I am. think it's going to be Let's Go Brandon and Paul Vallis, but we'll soon find out. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. Listen to Dan and Amy on your smartphone. Download the AM560 mobile app today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.